Hello, hello, and welcome to the Protect Your Peace podcast. I'm your host, Najee, and today's episode is going to dig into an important question, both in general and specifically for this season, which is what exactly is rest anyway? And spoiler alert, the answer is going to require a bit of curiosity and exploration. It's not simply going to be one sentence. So make sure you've got some hydration nearby, perhaps a snack. If your body is requesting some nourishment in that way, take at least a few mindful breaths and let's dig in. So what's up, y'all? How are you feeling today? And are you feeling rested? I really want you to take a few moments to connect with that question and let it land in your body. Perhaps you pause what you're doing if you're doing something other than listening to this podcast, or you close your eyes if it feels resonant, safe to do so, and ask yourself, really, are you feeling rested? What parts of you are feeling rested? And what parts of you are in need of some rest? And pay attention to and trust the answer that arises for you, right? Maybe the answer or answers arise and come up sort of in words in your head, Maybe there's some other sensory information that's coming up in the body. And the information that arises from your body is really important. And I want to highlight it for a second because words can be both expansive connection builders and limiting AF when it comes to experiences in the body. And When I think of experiences in the body, the simple question of what is rest feels like a big one. I mean, obviously it's a central question for this season, but it's also a question that can be answered and explored in so many ways, right? Resting doesn't always feel like a linear and clear-cut thing, in my opinion. Sometimes it can feel a bit elusive, I think in part because of how it's explained or portrayed at times and because we all have our own unique relationship with rest. And whatever your relationship is with rest makes historical sense based on not only your lived experiences, but also our collective experiences or our collective relationship with rest. So being able to define things can be really important and valuable defining things like with our words, (laughs) but it can also feel a bit limiting because our brilliant and wise body does not communicate with words. It communicates with sensations, with cues that go beyond words, right? And so using words to talk about the experiences of the body, we're really translating the language of the body into words. And we all might use different ones. So What I mean by the body doesn't communicate in words, I want you to think of like stubbing your toe, right? When you stub your toe, your toe doesn't like open a mouth and say, ouch, 
No, you feel that sensation in your body of stepping your toe that you register perhaps as pain, which is then followed by maybe an ouch or an expletive leaving your mouth, right? You're translating the sensations and the experience in the body with words. And I start with this because before we get into any definitions or start wrapping words around the experience of rest, I really want to orient you to the fact that your body innately knows not only what rest is, but also how to rest and what it needs in order to rest, recalibrate, and recharge. There is so much about rest that we intuitively already know because our body is innately equipped and designed to rest. Now, whether or not we honor that knowing, listen to it, feel connected or attuned to it is a whole other story. And there's a lot of valid things that get in the way of rest, which I will definitely get into in a few episodes. But for now, I just want to begin with the reminder that your body is fundamentally really wise And words are not the end-all be-all of that experience. They certainly have their place. I mean, this is a podcast, so (laughs) I'm going to be using a lot of words. And when it comes to rest, again, words can be expansive and limiting. It's a both and. Because rest is something you experience. And we all may describe it or access it differently. We each have a different capacity for rest or the amount that's needed which makes total sense that our bodies may require different approaches. And it can also feel a bit frustrating and confusing when we aren't clear on the access points to rest or how much we need or why when we do lay down or take a nap or we do something that's quote unquote supposed to be relaxing or restful, we don't quite feel that way. A lot of us, I think, are at a loss for what rest really is. Like, isn't rest just sleep? Or do we only rest on vacation? How exactly do I do this whole rest thing? And will this lavender bath bomb or essential oil spray or CBD cream or melatonin pill help me do it, right? There's this way that rest or the idea of it at least kind of tries to get sold back to us in a way that can make it feel even more confusing, or sometimes feel less accessible, that we've got to buy something in order to do it, which is just capitalism's sneaky way of always trying to weasel its way back into the conversation. And I get it, because sometimes we want that guarantee, right? We want to get that bath bomb, or we want to go get that massage and know that we will feel rested. We want that guarantee, or like the illusion of it, anyway. We want sometimes a really clear bullet pointed list for what rest is and how to do it. And sometimes we just want that clear definition or that quick fix. But I would argue there is so much value in having a space to be curious about the answer rather than just being provided with one, especially with this. Because the state and experience of rest isn't accessed by just one thing. And again, we all may use different words to translate that experience. And people can talk about rest and the need for it all day long, but actually resting 
and centering it more in your life is a whole different story. And again, we all have our own relationship with rest that's worth being explored and that will likely go beyond just our words. I was recently watching a video from the writer and creator John Green, and he was talking about his experience with mental and physical illness. And something he said struck me as I was kind of preparing for this episode. He said, we want categories to be strict and inviolable when in fact they are messy and constructed. So often with the things that don't fit in a clear and concise little box, cough, cough, the things that make us human and how we experience our humanness, we can get a little flustered by it, I think. It can feel more elusive because we can't always accurately wrap words around it. Or perhaps it's that the words that feel accurate for us may not feel accurate for everybody. And so we've kind of got to do our own exploration of that experience. Sometimes we can put a lot of effort into trying to kind of pin a definition down. When again, perhaps it requires curiosity and exploration and imagination and the capacity or the understanding that there's space for all of us to have our own definitions and kind of relationship with rest. So this episode is an invitation to both better understand and reimagine rest. And having spaces to safely and curiously explore and experience rest is really important. Getting into conversation about it with folks you're in relationship with can hold a lot of value. Like when's the last time you got into a deep conversation with someone about rest or relaxation? Even in the midst of an ongoing global pandemic, Our exhaustion or burnout is still in many ways seen as a badge of honor. Rather than a really clear signal that a boundary in the body has been crossed, that there is an innate need that's not being honored. Our exhaustion and fatigue is so normalized. Rest can feel like a far away thing for so many of us when it really would be so better served as a fundamental kind of check-in point between us. And so in that way, language can be great because again, it can be that connection builder because getting into conversation with one another about rest can be a part of what sparks further curiosity, exploration, and connection with our own experience and uplifting rest as something that's valuable. Our need for rest is universal, but the way we access it is personal and informed by our lived experiences. And there's so much value in exploring what it means for you personally. So are there definitions of rest? Yes, wonderful ones. I'll share quite a few of them. And We all have our own personal definitions and pathways to experiencing rest that, yes, we can wrap words around, but I would argue that that's not the only language to use. It's not the only language of value. Rest is a physiological state and experience. It's an embodied experience. And I think for a lot of us, we come to rest 
with a very full suitcase of generational, cultural, and societal stories about it. And I don't just mean verbal stories. I also mean that internal story within your body, within your system that gets passed down and passed around. And here's the thing. We may not be the exclusive author of our relationship with rest or where it sits within our values, but we are very capable of editing and rewriting the story that we have with rest of adjusting our relationship with rest, of reimagining that story and repositioning rest as something of value that ought to be more central in our lives and relationships. That though exhaustion and fatigue are incredibly commonplace, they ought not be a normal ongoing state of being. And I think digging into the question of what is rest and why is it important is one of the many ways that we continue to rewrite that story. All right, so I want to dig into this question of what is rest from a few different vantage points. So From a physiological perspective, from a nervous system perspective, rest is a state. When we are resting, we are in what's called a parasympathetic dominant state. And some of you might be like, okay, cool. What the hell does that mean? Or maybe you've heard this word before, but it's not familiar with you within this context in this way. So to answer further, we've got to do a quick dive into the nervous system. The nervous system is composed of the brain, the spinal cord, which is a bundle of nerve fibers that runs down the center of your spinal column, right? That's what your spine is helping to protect, right? Is that bundle of nerve fibers and all the other nerves in the body which innervate or go through, weave through everything, right? So we've got nerves that run through our muscles, our organs, our connective tissue, all the things. (laughs) These are the highways through which all of the information in the body travels, right? The nervous system is what animates us, what allows us to feel. This is the communication highway that is responsible for sending, receiving, and interpreting information from both inside the body, that inner world, and outside of the body, the outer world. And this is why, for me, I often use words like body, system, and nervous system somewhat interchangeably because for all intents and purposes, the nervous system is our body. And the nervous system is divided into several different sections or branches by which to understand the different functions of each part of the nervous system. And so the part I want to focus on for a moment is called the autonomic nervous system. So when you hear autonomic, think automatic. This is the part of the nervous system that is responsible for the involuntary functions in the body. So think of the functions that keep you alive or that you don't have much say over, like your heart rate, your breathing rate, even things like your pupils dilating, digestion. I know you do have some say over your breathing rate, 
But here's how you know that it's an autonomic function. At a certain point, even if you really, really willfully held your breath or really willfully took a breath in as deeply as you could, there's a certain point at which the body will stop and take over and say, you got to let the breath out or you've got to take a breath in, right? So even though we definitely have say and influence over the breath, it is still an autonomic function because most of the time you don't have to think about your breath in order to breathe, right? Your body's doing it automatically. So the nervous system the autonomic nervous system is made up of two main branches, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. These two branches are in an ongoing dynamic relationship with each other. Think of it almost like a dimmer switch. That's always attuning to the environment and adjusting accordingly in the service of survival. Meaning, keeping you alive is a, if not the, central and fundamental motivation for your body. And there's a lot of different metaphors one could use to kind of break this down, but we're going to stick with the dimmer switch mostly for a moment. So think of that sympathetic branch as the part that turns the lights up. Or you can think of it like a gas pedal in a car, right? This is the branch of the autonomic nervous system that primes you for action. And then we've got the part that turns the lights down or like the brake pedal in the car. This is our parasympathetic nervous system. Meaning our sympathetic is responsible for increasing or speeding up our autonomic functions And our parasympathetic is responsible for slowing down these functions, the opposite. And we obviously need both, right? We want the gas. We want to be able to turn the lights up, but we don't want it to feel like we're pedal to the metal or the lights are bright all the time. And we don't always want the lights on. We want the brakes, but we don't want the car to be at a full stop all the time or for the lights to be totally off, right? We want the range of experiences. And so rest is a state in which we feel safe and the lights are dimmed. So we're in that more parasympathetic dominant experience. And when we're in that parasympathetic dominant state and anchored in a felt sense of safety, Not only do we feel more access to the experience of relaxation and rest, but our body is able to tend to some really important processes that contribute to our long-term function and overall well-being, like our immune system, our digestion. And our understanding of the nervous system in general, and even just this specific part, right, the autonomic nervous system It requires some nuance because our experience of these states, meaning our sympathetic state and our parasympathetic state, the lights and the lights being dim or the gas pedal and the brakes, it's not fixed. There's a range to our experiences, right? It's not pedal to the metal or like slamming on the brakes. There's a ton of space in between those experiences. And that's why I like the dimmer switch. 
So there's different levels of light. It's not simply black or white. There's all these shades of gray. And I think sometimes these states get shared in a really binary way. In fact, I've definitely previously taught about this in a much more binary way, which can have its place in learning, right? We start kind of simpler with some concepts and then we build on them as we go along. And certainly with the nervous system, there is always something to build upon. But I think this oversimplification can kind of paint an inaccurate picture. This oversimplification can get reinforced by the bite-sized way we ingest information too, right? Like in places like social media or a blurb from an article. The, the nervous system is much more dynamic than a tweet or a meme. And I think better understanding this system overall or even just this part of our nervous system can contribute to a sense of literacy or understanding about how our body works, which can help, I think, a sense of self-compassion and understanding about ourselves feel a lot more accessible. So one of the things that I see, and also full transparency, I've definitely taught it this way before, is that the sympathetic experience is all fight or flight and parasympathetic is all relaxation and bliss, which is not the whole story. Those are not the only ways we can experience these states. This is why within the context of this metaphor of the dimmer switch, I'm specifically languaging rest as a state in which the lights are dimmed and we are anchored in a felt sense of safety and regulation. Not that the lights are completely off. Rest is not the lights being totally off. And I'm going to dig into this more in a future episode, but for now, I want to leave it at that because that was a lot of info. The nervous system is definitely a place where I can talk and talk and talk. (laughs) And I want you to be able to digest it. So maybe I'll do a whole episode kind of on much more nitty gritty nervous system stuff at some point for people who really want to dig into neuroscience. But for now, the moral of the story is from a physiological perspective, when we are resting, when we are relaxed, even we are entering a more parasympathetic dominant state. Accessing and spending time in this state is really important for a lot of reasons including the fact that this is the state where our body tends to long-term to long-term functions, processes that contribute to our long-term kind of vitality and well-being. And this is just the physiology. It's not speaking to what we may feel greater access to when we're in this state, such as creativity and a sense of spaciousness or calm or stillness and the like. There is a residue left behind an imprint, if you will, within kind of our system or our body when we rest and that time that we spend after rest. That's incredibly important as well. So the parasympathetic experience, part of it at least, this is our state of rest and digest. And we don't necessarily need to live here all the time, but we do need to visit it often And pay special attention to the information, the wisdom, or the footprints that this state of rest can leave behind. 
So let's talk about sleep for a second. What is the difference between rest and sleep? And why do we need to intentionally rest at all if we sleep every day? Aren't we just resting when we're asleep? There are so many ways to answer these questions. <laughs> so much so that I, I honestly felt a little stuck with them initially because depending on the vantage point or the framework in which you are approaching this question, it can seem a little bit like we're splitting hairs because there is overlap between rest and sleep because sleep is one of the primary ways in which the body recharges, recalibrates, and repairs and rests. And these are the things that the body tends to when it is able to physiologically transition into more of that parasympathetic dominant or that lights dimmed, slowing down space, still anchored in safety, of course. So the relationship between the two, between rest and sleep, I kind of think of like a Venn diagram. So you've got these two circles, one is rest, one is sleep, that have some overlap with each other where they are similar, but they're not right on top of each other because there's some distinctions and those distinctions matter. I'm sure all of us have had the experience of waking up from a quote unquote like full night of sleep and not feeling very rested. So that alone without getting into any of the physiology clues us into something that sleep is not necessarily the whole story or the end-all be-all on rest. Like one of my restorative yoga teachers says, rest and sleep are two distinct physiological states and we require both. So sleep is definitely a part of the main cast in the story of rest, but it's not the whole ensemble. And I think so many of us treat or consider it to be the whole ensemble. And in doing so, we overlook connecting to the rest that is important for us to explore when we are conscious and awake. We overlook the different ways in which we may need to experience rest or honor our rest needs during our waking hours. And so when I talk about rest, particularly within the context of this season, I'm predominantly talking about the intentional rest practices or the intentional rest we explore in our waking state or in our conscious time, or the hours in which we are awake and nudging you towards exploring, valuing, and getting curious about intentionally resting. Because the rest we explore during our conscious hours is really important and can set us up for more quality sleep. We don't necessarily get all the rest we require from sleep, even though it's one of our primary forms of rest and incredibly important. So one distinction between sleep and we'll say intentional rest is our body requires sleep to survive. So sleep is considered to be a drive. This is why it's considered a drive, like hunger, like thirst, because if we do not sleep, then we will eventually die. 
So that drive or that fatigue we feel when we don't sleep serves a very important purpose, just like thirst. If we don't get thirsty, we won't hydrate, and that has dire consequences for our body, right? So part of our survival is dependent on sleep, which is what makes it a drive. In a brief sidebar about drives for a second, this is also why sex is technically not considered a drive, even though there are a lot of folks who still use that language. Though, yes, technically continuing to reproduce continues our existence as a species, right? We won't individually die without sex in the same way that one would die without sleep or water or food, which is why those are considered drives. And though some folks engage in sex strictly for the purposes of reproduction, we are one of the few species that engages in sex for pleasure as well, or for a lot of us exclusively. And many folks experience what is called responsive desire rather than spontaneous desire in terms of relationship with sex. Emily Nagoski, who co-wrote the book Burnout, which I was referencing in the last episode, also has a great TED talk about this too. (laughs) Okay, off the sex ed train for a second and back to rest and sleep. So sleep is a drive, rest and sex technically are not. That said... I would argue without quality rest in the ways we need beyond sleep, after a while, we don't feel very alive either. And I'll get into this a lot more in the next episode when I talk about types of rest too. So sleep can be a form of physical rest. And for most of us, it's our primary form of physical rest and repair, right? But Again, have you ever woken up from a full night of sleep and not felt very rested? So that tells you there can absolutely be a distinction or that when we sleep, we can be unconscious without feeling restful. Sometimes we're physically unconscious, but we're not experiencing quality sleep or the type of rest we really need because This is part of where there's value in connecting with other ways to access rest. So sleep doesn't always equal rest or perhaps more specifically rest in all the ways that we may need. So resting during our waking hours can tee us up for more nourishing quality sleep, meaning accessing that state, that state of rest outside of sleep can lay the foundation for which sleep continues to build upon. It's like we're creating a runway for the plane to land. And when we begin to incorporate more rest into our day-to-day and in turn lessen the load on our nervous system and allow it time to slow down, adjusting that dimmer switch, if you will, we can create space for a more easeful transition into sleep. Rest during our waking hours can help kind of grease the gears, if you will. I think sometimes we have this expectation that we ought to just be able to lay down and go to sleep. And some people can do that. And for the people who can fall asleep or like take a nap at the drop of a dime, I am truly mesmerized by you because I am not that person like 99% of the time. In fact, the only time where that happens is when I am really exhausted. It takes the average person 
about 15 minutes to relax, to physiologically shift into the state of relaxation, of that parasympathetic dominance anchored in safety, for the body and the system to be like, oh, okay, I don't need to be on alert right now. I'm safe or feeling safe enough to transition into a more relaxed place, to slow down the heart rate, the breathing rate, to slow down the brain waves. So this is another way we can wrap words around rest. We can be in a deeply relaxed and easeful state without being asleep. With rest, we are settling into that sense of spaciousness and lingering in a state that we usually just pass through on the way to sleep. Think of that space that you experience yourself entering kind of just before you fall asleep or when you feel your body kind of transition into relaxation. That deeply sort of quiet wakefulness, if you will. And in practices like restorative yoga or yoga nidra, we are intentionally transitioning into that state and lingering there, savoring it, settling into it, consciously and intentionally. Now let's go back to that metaphor of the dimmer switch for a second. Imagine being in a room with the lights on and rather than a gradual dimming of the lights, it goes from on to immediately dimmed, immediate transition with no kind of slow fade, right? Kind of like when you're switching a song on a playlist and you don't adjust the volume knob. So resting in the ways that we need, which again, I'll get into more in the next episode when I talk about types of rest, resting in the ways that we need at other points in the day or week can help smooth out that transition and increase the likelihood of sleep feeling nourishing, right? If we know that our primary form of physical rest, even though it's not the only form, not the only access point, is sleep, that either way, we're going to sleep every day and we need it to survive, then ideally, we want to support it as much as we can. We want to keep kind of that runway free and clear and easily accessible through rest. And centering the rest we need during our waking hours, lessening that load on our system, or when we're conscious, is one of the ways, one of the many ways that we can kind of keep that runway clear, that we can help support our body and its need for sleep. Centering rest and resting in the ways that we need to can include so much more than sleep and ought to include more than sleep. Though sleep is part of the main cast of rest, It's not the whole ensemble. So how are you exploring intentionally honoring your need for rest during your waking hours? 
within the context of this season that's all about rest, this is where I'm encouraging you to place your curiosity. What does rest look like in my waking hours? How do I connect with and explore rest when I'm awake, when I'm conscious? And what does rest look like when I am conscious during the experience? Octavia Rahim says, rest is acknowledging the organic and natural pause that exists in life and honoring the moments that we need to extend that pause. And so this is what I invite you to explore between now and next episode. Notice the natural pauses during your waking hours. Perhaps even step towards savoring those pauses. Even if it is simply the pause that exists between the breath in and the breath out. The space between swallowing a bite of food and taking your next one between opening your eyes for the first time and what you do next, between waking up and getting out of bed. Trisha Hersey of the Nat Ministry reminds us rest is always available to us if you understand rest to be more than a physical stopping. It's a mindset shift. It's a taking back a ethos that reclaims our time as our own, a reimagination, a connection to our body's boundaries. She says access to rest is always available to us when we resist the toxic brainwashing that has told us otherwise. And so can you devote just a bit of your attention to the pauses that are always available to you, to the pauses your body requests to digest, to integrate, to repair? What might it be like to intentionally be with these spaces of rest in your waking hours? Perhaps even noticing the nudges that arise from your body to slow down. And in that exploration of these natural pauses, you're also exploring your relationship with rest. You're connecting with your relationship with rest. You begin to pay attention to the present moment and to the language of the body, which is a seemingly simple thing to do, but is not always easy. You might even notice in those natural pauses as you begin to pay attention to them, this sort of residue, the residue of rush, the residue of urgency. Remember that slowing down, intentionally offering your attention, rest, it requires practice, just like everything else. Except I think, Intentionally resting is less about learning something new and more about revisiting what we already innately know. Honoring what the body already innately knows it needs. 
through rest in so many ways, you're not learning something new. You're connecting with something that has been waiting for you all along. All right, y'all. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. I know there was a lot in there. We got pretty sciency, and I really hope it sparks some curiosity and clarity for you around this thing we need called rest. The Protect Your Peace podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by yours truly, Najee Robbins, and our theme music is by Somatics. There are many ways to support the podcast. If you have the financial means, you can head to protectyourpeace.yoga backslash support. You can also subscribe and or share this episode with a friend via link or conversation. And if you haven't already, be sure to join my newsletter so you can access on-demand rest practices and be the first to hear about new episodes, resources, and classes I'm putting out into the world. Next episode, I'll be digging into different types of rest and a bit more on how our rest practices can change over time. There's also probably going to be a few food metaphors in there as well. So if you're into that sort of thing, then I hope you tune in. Between now and then, I am sending you support and encouragement to hydrate, nourish yourself in the ways you need, and honor the pauses available to you in between. Thank you again for listening, and we'll connect soon. Thank you.